real estate. For as long as human beings have gathered for worship, we've worried about real estate. Location, location, location. First, in ancient times, it was about discovering holy places, places where it's easier to recognize God's presence, or maybe places God especially likes to visit. When Moses leads Israel out of Egypt, they head for Sinai, the place where Moses met God for the first time, where God comes back and speaks many times because God has a lot to say. And when they have to move on, God tells them how to build a portable holy place, a really, really fancy tent that they can set up and gather around and tear down to move to a new location. The tent stands still for a few hundred years till King David establishes his capital in Jerusalem. And he brings all the furniture and decoration and canvas into his city. But David's dream is to build a house, a permanent house for God, right next door to his own home on Jerusalem's highest point. He can't do it. Now there are at least three reasons offered for that. One has God saying, no thanks, I don't need a house, not now anyway. Your son Solomon will build it. Another has God saying to David, no, you can't build the house. There's too much blood on your hands. And this morning we heard Solomon's version. Dad couldn't do it because he was too busy fighting wars to make peace before building a temple. I'm going to build a temple, Solomon says. It will be the biggest, most spectacular temple the world has ever seen. It'll be so great. God will want to come and live in it permanently. I guarantee it. God will be so happy to be in this temple, so satisfied, so comfortable. He won't ever want to leave. And you know what? Really, folks, this, this is the best part. You won't have to lift a finger to build it. That's right. People from up north, they're going to do all the work. Bring everything, everything down and put it together right here where I'm standing. And get this. Now, my father was a great man and he had friends, many friends. I have friends. I have many more friends than my father had. The king of Tyre, my father's best friend, Hiram, he's my friend too, good friend, great friend, wonderful friend. He's going to give me all the building material. People from all over the world are going to come from all over the world and give me everything I need to make this temple beautiful, beautiful. You won't believe it, so beautiful. My father was a great man, great man, greatest king ever, never to be forgotten. Even he couldn't do it. I alone can do it. Let's make the United Kingdoms of Israel and Judah great. And I'm going to build a palace for myself right next door. And he does. Solomon builds the temple and a palace. It takes just seven years to finish the first mega building project, the temple. It takes 13 years to build Solomon's palace. Which, is, which one do you think is a little fancier inside? With slave labor, those guest workers from up north, they are described with the same Hebrew word as the Israelites in Egypt building the pyramids for Pharaoh. With donated 
material. With additions and adornments, yes, from all over the known world, brought in tribute to Solomon. A home for God, with another God's king, with another for God's king right beside it. The most important real estate in the world, or at least in the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. God, government, and justice, all in one place. But does God really want to live there? In the story we read this morning, there's tension. The temple is beautiful. The dedication service is spectacular. So many animals sacrificed, the priests and the people lose count. Samuel has built the temple with God's blessing, or so it seems. And the center of it all, the focal point of God's presence, the thing that truly unites everything, is the Ark of the Covenant, a simple wooden box, not lined or filled with gold, just two slabs of rock inside, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And the moment everybody's been waiting for, the arrival of God comes. God's glory fills the temple with such force. God's glory is so huge, the priests are blown out the door. The temple, as wonderful as it is, can't hold God inside. Solomon says, quoting an old proverb, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. God's presence is like a, like a dense cloud. No one can see all the way in. No one can see into the heart of God or comprehend all that God is. But Solomon says to God, I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Solomon still believes that he can contain and control God's presence. And over the centuries, that building, that temple, that sacred real estate becomes the center of national life, as if the nation can't exist without the temple, and many people believe God can't be with them if there isn't a temple in Jerusalem. And that's the trouble with holy real estate. God is immortal and invisible. Land. Brick and mortar, stone and steel, wood and glass, these things we can live on and with, we can see, touch, admire. We can even believe that God only lives in the special houses we build or in the places where we live. Now, in the first decades of the 16th century, Pope Leo X launches a mega building project. He wants to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica, redecorate the Vatican, and make the church great again. He needs money, and he raises a lot of money selling indulgences to people who donate to his building fund. Now, indulgences are get-out-of-purgatory-early cards. It's always good to have a few in your pocket after you've sinned if you've sinned really big time. 
So depending on the depth of your guilt and the size of your donation, the number of years remitted from your sentence in purgatory is set. And he raises a lot of money this way, but he needs more, so he extends the sale and begins to offer indulgence plus. Everybody wants a plus, right? Or elite, or gold, or platinum. These are the, the best indulgences to have, at a higher price, of course, to have in reserve for sins you haven't committed yet. So imagine having a free ticket to do whatever you want and not have to worry about adding years to your sentence. And in a little town in Germany, a monk and scholar named Martin Luther is struggling with his faith. He's an Augustinian monk and priest, and he decides as a spiritual discipline to read the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. And he's concerned about where the church has gone, what it has become. And this sale of indulgences really gets his goat. And so he reads in Romans that justification, being in the right relationship with God, having peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, the salvation of the soul, are God's gifts received by faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not faith in the church, not by contributing to a building program. These things can't be bought by making a donation to the church. They can't be earned by doing good things. The Pope can't grant them or withhold them or take them away. And Luther thinks really hard about this, and he comes up with 95 reasons why the sales of indulgences is wrong. And he writes out at least two copies, and he puts one in the mail to his bishop. And the postmark is October 31st, 1517. Legend has it that he takes another copy and goes down to the opposite end of town from the university and nails it to the door of the castle church. We don't know for sure that he did this. Luther himself wouldn't say one way or the other. But it makes sense because that's where university bulletins were posted. Students and faculty were expected to read them as they went into church or as they came out. And that is where a professor would post an invitation to a lecture or a debate. But if that is all Luther intended, a lot more happened probably because he put a copy into the mail to the archbishop. That call for conversation became a spark that sets the whole Western church on fire. And Luther and the reformers who come after him say it's a cleansing fire. Pope Leo and Holy Roman Emperor Charles don't see it that way. They aren't about to take any heat from Luther or anybody else. Today, we have to say the fire is both cleansing and destructive, some of one and more of the other. And Christians still disagree about which is more and which is less. In October 1517, John Calvin is eight years old. 
And he catches the spirit of reform in France. He moves to Switzerland, where he develops his own ideas about the church and writes his own theological texts and has a war of letters back and forth with Martin Luther and Lutherans. But one of Calvin's most passionate students, not quite as smart as Calvin and with an even hotter temper than Luther's, is John Knox. And this is where we come in, Presbyterians. But one way to look at this history, this story, this heritage that we have that has brought us where we are today, one way to look at the Reformation is a prolonged and still unresolved argument about real estate, both literal and metaphorical. The Reformation fed the fires of nationalism in Europe, the final blows to the Holy Roman Empire, and nationalism empowered the reformers, who said the Bishop of Rome was just the Bishop of Rome and not supreme head of the church in the world. Who owns all of Europe? No one has the right both reformers and politicians said, no one from far away has the right to reach across our borders and try to govern our land or our church. The wars we call religious are almost always more about real estate than religion. So Solomon builds his temple and his palace next door to confirm his right to rule over the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. His building project is mostly about real estate, literal and metaphorical. And throughout the Reformation, church and state often work together or side by side on both sides. What about the metaphorical real estate? So imagine the church is a building. We may find that easier to do than we'd like to admit. For Pope Leo, his building project is about building the church up. As far as he is concerned, for practical purposes, the church is its buildings and what happens on the altars inside them, and especially in the big one in Rome. And the church is God's kingdom on earth. The church is God's kingdom on earth. And for Luther and Calvin and Knox, Buildings are buildings, places for the church to gather, to hear God's word, to share in the sacraments, and to be the church together. Walls can't contain the church any more than borders can, any more than Solomon's temple can contain God. The church gathered and governed is subject to God's judgment. Sometimes the church is called to pronounce God's judgment but still the final word belongs to God. And all believers can pray to God, discern God's word, God's guidance for our lives. All Christians represent and build God's kingdom on earth. And today, the Roman Catholic Church and most Reformed and Protestant churches agree on all of that and on most of the things the Reformers said were important. We agree, too, that the holiest real estate of all is the earth we all live on. It's the place where we answer God's call to serve, to be in mission, and to be the church. Despite Solomon's own political concerns, he also knew that the temple was built 
for the whole world. And the Reformation did set in motion what we would call mission in the world, at least in the West, that anyone who believed could carry and share the gospel to anyone else. And we believe that what happens in the land we live in, the earth we live on, is more important to God than what happens inside the church's real properties. How we govern, how we work together, how we administer justice, how we live, rich and poor, young and old, long time and new dwellers in our neighborhoods and across Canada. You know, the most lasting legacy John Calvin, the reformer, left the city of Geneva was a sewage system. He believed that as people lived a foretaste of God's kingdom, the city should be clean. And so he advocated for social reform as well as the church's reform. It all matters to God, and it matters to us. And God calls us, each and all of us, to be the church wherever we are, wherever we are, is a holy place. And as far as God is concerned, wherever we are is the most valuable piece of real estate on earth. Amen. Glory to God.